Hello, everybody. Here we go. This is the summer camp series. And as I mentioned in the last experience, I've been preparing to teach at a summer camp full of fantastic high school students. Uh, It's in North Webster, Indiana. I leave in a week and a half. And so I thought I might as well share these teachings or at least versions of these teachings with you all. And uh, if we get to all eight or not, I don't know, but we're going to start with one and see where it goes from there. And so uh, these, this is mostly designed for these students, which means if you've been listening to this podcast or heard me teach before, some of these stories you've heard before, but they haven't and they fit. And so I'm using them and that's okay if you hear them again. And again, if you're going to be at this camp, uh, just beware that this is what I'm going to be <laughs> saying at the camp. So if you don't want to listen, you can turn this off right now. This is experience number 20 and it's called Who God Isn't. Now, real quick, here's how this camp works. There is a program director, a wonderful woman named who I've been working with for years named uh, Stacy Hartman, who actually isn't Stacy Hartman any, anymore. She just got married. I think her new name is, her, her last name is Nelson now, Stacy Hartman Nelson, I believe. And she is absolutely fantastic, a joy to work with. And so what she does is she programs this whole thing for the students. And so she gives the teachers the outline of uh, each session and what she would like the speaker to talk about. And so we then work off of this outline and the direction she wants to go. And so I can't take total credit for, or any credit really for the arc of these next several teachings um, because it's all Stacy. But I just worked off of that. And so the first night at camp, we're talking about who God isn't. And so this first one is called who God isn't. So here we go. A few years ago, two years ago, just over two years ago, um, a good friend of mine named Josh, who lives in Houston, uh, was gotten a little bit of of a pickle. Uh, there were some friends of ours who were doing steam camp for their kids. Have you heard of steam camp? It's like a week long thing, and so you one one uh, kind of subject each day. So there's science technology, English, art, and math. I think those are the things. Steam. And you do one a day for a week for five days. And so it was my friend Valerie's turn to teach. And I don't even know which one of those she was t- she was going to teach the kids on. So you have like five and six-year-olds here. And she asked Josh, her husband, before he went to work, to fill a bunch of the red... Uh, silo cups, I think they're called the red, you know, plastic cups, like you saw at the college (laughs) parties full of berries, different berries, uh, for a snack for the kids. And so these kids are going to walk on this trail. And then there was this picnic table at the end of this trail where she Val wanted Josh to leave these cups of berries. So she asked him to fill these cups with berries, put saran wrap over the top of the cups, put these cups in a muffin tin and then put the muffin tin in this cooler and then go drop it off at this park bench. And so Josh puts the berries in the cups, puts the saran wrap on the berries, on the cups, puts the cups in the muffin tin, tries to fit the muffin tin in the cooler, wouldn't fit. So he turned the cooler on its side to slide the muffin tin in. He then uh, packed the surrounding area of the cooler with ice, closed the cooler and put a note on the cooler that said, uh, open with caution, leave on its side. 
He then takes the cooler on its side, puts it in the car, drives to the park, carries it from his car to this picnic table, and then leaves. He gets home, and Val asked him to bring something else back that she needed, and so he comes back. I don't know how much after he dropped off the cooler. It wasn't that long. He gets out of the car, <laughs> and uh, he there's this like park regular talking to two park rangers and points at Josh, and he says, that's the guy. So these two park rangers, one of whom, the main guy, is named Ranger Rick. Not joking, that was his name, Ranger Rick, because if your name's Rick, you almost have to be a park ranger. And then I don't know the other guy's name, so Ranger Rick and Ranger Rick's sidekick. Ranger Rick and Ranger Rick's sidekick go up to Josh, and uh, Ranger Rick just starts lighting in to Josh. Like, how dare you put my park in, in trouble? What are you thinking? Who do you think you are? Josh looks over, and he notices around the picnic table and around the cooler is now yellow caution tape, <laughs> like the crime scene tape. And uh, Josh is like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? And Ranger Rick is just swearing at Josh. And Josh is like, did you look in the cooler? And Ranger Rick says, no, I didn't want to get killed. And Josh said, let's go over to the cooler. I'll open it and I'll show you there's nothing suspicious here. And Ranger Rick says, you're not going anywhere until the cops get here. And Josh is like, you called the cops? By the way, Josh is, there is no one with more integrity than Josh. And so for this to happen to Josh is absolutely perfect. Um, Josh is like, you called the cops? And Ranger Rick said, I called the bomb squad. (laughs) So now the bomb squad's on the way. And Josh is like, whoa. So the two cops show up. They, they calm down Ranger Rick and, and they see, okay, the area is secure. we got some caution tape around. Ranger Rick is, did his job. Go over to Josh. The police officers talk to Josh. Josh just explains calmly what's going on. The two policemen open the cooler. They see the berries. The bomb squad is canceled. Everything is fine. By the way, all the kids are like watching this and Ranger Rick go ballistic on their friend Josh. Um, but it wasn't a bomb. <laughs> It was berries for five and six year olds. <laughs> so here's where we start. Sometimes, in order to know what something is, you also have to know what it isn't. Sometimes, in order to know what something is, you also have to know what it isn't. Sometimes we need a new or different way of looking at something because the way we're looking at it is giving up the perception that this thing is something that it's not. So what I want to do here is I want to talk about um, the problem with believing God is something that he isn't because there's a problem with it. Then I want to talk about this interesting story in the Gospels uh, about Mary Magdalene and her interaction with Jesus. And then uh, we'll talk about five things God is not. So that's where we're headed here in the next few minutes. Uh, So first, the problem with believing God is something that he isn't. Uh, There is, because there is a problem (laughs) with believing God is something that he isn't. And it's actually the same problem with believing anything is what it isn't. Uh, So have you ever been in a dating relationship and you thought this was like getting serious. We're, we're, I'm into this person. This person's into me. We're totally dating. Um, the other person did not think this was a dating relationship. So you're like, hey, when are we going on our, on our next date? And they're like, uh, when did we have a first date? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what this is. 
Like, how did you feel after that? There's a problem with believing something is what it isn't. Have you ever had a friend who offered to take you out to dinner for your birthday? And they're like, I know you love like Chinese Asian food. We'll go out to, to a nice Chinese or Asian restaurant. And you're thinking, yeah, we're going to PF Chang's baby. And they pull up to Panda Express. <laughs> you're like, no, there's a problem to believing something is what it isn't. Uh, you thought when you were 16, 17, 18 years old, your parents told you they'd get you a car and you get to pick out the make and the model of this car. And you're thinking, say it's 2019, you're like, yes. And you're thinking you're getting the 2019 model of this car that you've been dreaming of. And they call you outside to the driveway and there is this nice bow wrapped around the hood of the version of make model you wanted, but it's the 1999 model with... 200,000 miles and, and three hubcaps. And you're like, no, there's a problem with believing something is what it isn't. Or you had this day planned outside. It was a picnic. You were going to go to the beach. You're going to go to the mountains. You're going to hang out with friends and neighbors. And you were thinking it was going to be 80 degrees and sunny. And so you make all these plans and you wake up and you walk outside and it's 49 and rainy and windy. You're like, no, there's a problem with believing something is what it isn't. And here's the problem with believing something is what it isn't. Uh, believing something is what it isn't. It will always leave us disappointed and unfulfilled. Always. It will always leave us disappointed and unfulfilled unless, um, unless we think this thing is like a bad thing. <laughs> Have you ever met someone and you've heard that this person was a big time jerk. And so you're expecting like jerkness from this person, but they were totally cool. You walked away from them. Like it was life giving. You're like, no, no, this person is legit. Um, then like that will leave us encouraged and grateful. Uh, but if we think this thing is a good thing and it turns out to be something else, it will always leave us disappointed and unfulfilled. Have you had this experience? Have you had this experience with God? Uh, some questions here. Have you ever been disappointed in God? Have you ever felt like God let you down? Have you ever thought God's job was to make sure nothing bad ever happens? Have you ever been disappointed or felt unfulfilled by God, felt like he let you down, like his job was to make sure nothing bad ever happens and something bad did in fact happen? The friend who you trusted and you thought would like stick up for you, they backstabbed you. Uh, your kid was in kind of a rocky marriage and you were praying, praying, praying for them and their spouse to stay together and things you thought were looking up, then all of a sudden they got divorced. And you're like, oh, man, God, how could you allow this? A loved one passed away. Have you ever felt disappointed in God? And, and the truth is the, the feeling of being disappointed or unfulfilled by God um, when something happens that we don't want to happen, that is a totally normal feeling. Totally normal. That happens all the time. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. Uh, the, but a lot of times when we feel disappointed and unfulfilled by God, uh, it is because we are under the impression, we have this misrepresentation and we think God is something that he isn't. Now, uh, here's a story 
of the resurrected Jesus and his interaction with a woman named Mary Magdalene. It goes like this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? (laughs) Same question the angels asked her, by the way. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, (laughs) that's another sermon. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Interesting. Do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, meaning the disciples, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So here we go. What's happening? Jesus is tortured. He's killed. He's dead. He's resurrected by God. And the first person he appears to is Mary Magdalene, uh, who just a couple days ago, Mary Magdalene saw the savior, Jesus, who she loved and who she served, tortured and killed and thought, okay, we lost. He's gone forever. A couple days later, out of seemingly nowhere, Jesus appears in flesh and blood to Mary Magdalene. And what does she do? What's her instinct? I mean, she lunges at him. She grabs onto him. She tries to hug him. Um, She goes for what's familiar. She goes for what's known. She goes for what's comfortable which is what you or I would do, right? If someone who we thought we would never see again just appeared in front of us. Like, have you, have you seen this? You've seen these videos where someone comes home from serving overseas and they surprise their, their spouse or their kid at school or at a game. What do they do? They just run or at the airport, they run and they just jump on them. That's what you do. Uh, interestingly, Jesus doesn't hug her back. It's like a twist in the story. In fact, he says, Do not hold on to me. Wait, what? (laughs) Aren't we supposed to hold on to Jesus? Isn't that like what we've been taught to do our entire lives, to get close to Jesus, to run after Jesus, to hold on to Jesus? Um, First of all, yes. (laughs) Holding on to Jesus is, is, is good. Let's keep doing that. But there's, this is the gospel of John, by the way. There's a deeper point here, I think. John is making and, and shout out to a guy named Jonathan Martin, who's who I first heard this kind of interpretation from. Um, it's not that G, that Mary should no longer hold on to Jesus. It's that Mary can no longer hold on to Jesus in the same way. It's not that Jesus is no longer there for Mary. It's that Jesus can no longer be there for Mary in the same exact way he was there for her before. Why? What's happening? Well, this is the resurrected Christ and he's going to ascend to the right hand of his father in heaven. He's going to send his followers, his Holy spirit, which is what, what he's talking about, which is why he says, Hey, go tell my disciples, uh, what's happening here that I'm going to ascend to my, to my father, to my God and to your God. Uh, see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus 
is going to be there for Mary and for his followers in a new way. Things have to change now because of the resurrection, and they will. A couple questions here. Uh, How many of us need to stop clinging to God in the same way we've been clinging to him? It just isn't helpful. Or we have misrepresentations of him. And Jesus like, don't hold on to me like that. Hold on to me a different way. How many of us need a new way of being with God? And if you have like this legalistic view of being with God and God's like, no, I want, I want you to have freedom. Yes, serve me. Yes, spiritual disciplines are fantastic, uh, but this is about freedom. How many of us need to let go of old ideas of God? We've been taught one way and, and maybe even for a while those ways were helpful, but we've kind of grown and it's time for um, kind of a new idea of being with God. How many of us need a resurrection view of God? of a God who is with us and for us, who is right here, right now. Sometimes in order to know what something is, we have to know what it isn't. And sometimes in order to know what something isn't, we need a new way. We have to stop clinging in the same way. And this isn't because God has changed. God hasn't changed. No, no, no. This is because we've had some misrepresentation, some unhelpful views, or maybe it's just a new season in our lives and there's a new way for us to be with God. Yeah, sometimes in order to know what something is, we also have to know what it isn't. Or sometimes in order to know who someone is, we have to know who they aren't. Which means sometimes we have to let go of the way we've been clinging and cling on in a new way. So here we go. Five things God is not. Number one, God is not out there. (laughs) Uh, Were you ever under the impression that God... Is, is somewhere out there or up there or over there or whatever it's been. And, and sometimes he'll like come and interact with us or this world. He'll mix it up a little bit. He'll fix some things. He'll discipline some people. And then he's just like, I'm out again. Here you go. Good luck. <laughs> How many of us have had that interpretation of God? Like we, we, in our culture, we have all sorts of images of absence um, or distance or untouchableness. Like think about some phrases we use absent, um, like absentee parent, a parent who's never really around their kids or distant relative, a relative we see maybe once a year at a family reunion who we don't even particularly want to be around then. Uh, Untouchable celebrities, people who have these, these lifestyles that we will never sniff. We'll never know what it's like to live like that. Uh, Absence, distance, untouchableness, which I don't even know if that's a word, but right now it is. And sometimes that's the way we view God, that he's out there. Uh, I heard a sermon by a teacher named Richard Rohr, teacher, author, spiritual thinker. And I've heard this other places, but um, this in particular, and he, he was talking about how the ancient Hebrews would say the name of God. The name of God in, in Hebrew is Yahweh. We would spell it uh, Y-H-W-H. Now, in ancient Hebrew, they didn't use vowels. So the Hebrew letters that we would transliterate Y-H-W-H were the only letters in the Hebrew and consonants, because you didn't use vowels, in the Hebrew alphabet that didn't allow you to use your tongue or you to move your tongue or use your lips, which meant when the ancient Hebrews, they believed when they were saying the name of Yahweh, what they were actually doing was imitating breath. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ready? Do it with me. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> See, for the, for the ancient Hebrews, saying the name of God, it was to remind you that God is as close as your breath. God is the one who gave you breath. By the way, in, in Hebrew and Greek, the word for spirit is also the, the word for breath, which means the first thing you did when you were born was say the name of God. The last thing you will do before you die is say the name of God. The only thing you've constantly and consistently done throughout your life is say the name of God. So if you ever run into anyone who says to you, I don't want anything to do with God, your response is too late, (laughs) too late. You're already breathing. By the way, you were breathing the moment you said you don't want anything to do with God. You were actually saying God's name. Oh, you just did it again. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have a choice, but to have something to do with God. I love these couple scriptures. This is Psalm 139 verses seven to 10. The psalmist says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. One more, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Yeah, God isn't out there. God is right here, right now, as close as your breath. God is not out there. Number two, God is not waiting for you to make a mistake. Uh, when I was in high school, we had hall monitors. Anyone, anyone have hall monitors in their high school? Um, and hall monitors meant business. And you know how you knew this? Because they had walkie-talkies. <laughs> and so... The one thing you didn't want was to get caught by a hall monitor, whether it was because you were late to class or you're lingering too long in the hallways or uh, you, you had to ask to go to the bathroom because you just couldn't stand to listen about molecules anymore and you were just kind of hiding by a locker. You didn't want to get caught by a hall monitor. Why? Because hall monitors meant discipline. They'd give you this little ticket. They'd like write you up. By the way, same with, we had van ladies. And I say ladies because they were all ladies. I'm not being like sexist. There were no van gentlemen at our school. They were van ladies. And they would do the same things with parking. They'd drive around the parking lot to make sure you had your parking sticker, which I, at one point, got sent to (laughs) the school security officer because I illegally uh, obtained a parking pass as a sophomore. And uh, that didn't work out for me. But uh, how many of us have the hall monitor view of God. Do you believe in hall monitor God? (laughs) Like God has nothing better to do, but to just watch you like a hawk and wait till you make a mistake. And then you'd be like, gotcha or gotcha God. You can call him gotcha God too. Like that's, that's what God does for fun is just wait for us to make. And then, cause he just wants to discipline us. Uh, I don't believe God is like that. (laughs) I believe God is more like the parent who, when his child, his son or his daughter does make a mistake, does leave for a little bit, does walk the other way, this parent 
just waits for them to come home with open arms. And when they do see this child coming home, they run after him and they give him this big hug before the child even has the chance to apologize and say that they're sorry. And, and they just throw this huge party for them with the best food and the best, all the guests and uh, just, just celebration that this child has come home. That's the version of God that I believe in. God, I don't believe, is waiting for you to make a mistake. By the way, the discipline in the Bible, this is often a, mis, a, a concept that gets misrepresented. Discipline in the Bible is never for punishment's sake. It is always, sometimes punishment is involved, but it is always for the sake of getting the children back on the right path. It's always a teaching moment. It's always a correcting moment. That's what discipline is. By the way, parent, that's, that's an insight for parents too. Discipline is always for the sake of correcting and teaching and loving. Uh, God is not waiting for you to make a mistake. Number three, God is not a control freak. <laughs> Here's what I mean. Uh, I believe God can control everything. That's how much power I think God has. I think he can control everything, including, get this, including giving himself the inability to control everything. <laughs> I think God can control everything, including deciding that he's not going to control everything. Because that's how much I think God loves us. I think he loves us so much that he gives us the freedom of choice to choose whether to follow him or not, to choose whether to walk to the left or to the right, to choose to obey or to not obey. I mean, how fun would it be to follow a Jesus who made you follow him? No, no, that's that's not, that's not freedom. That's not fun. Uh, that's called like being being a robot. We don't want to do that. I believe God is not a control freak. He gives us some control to make decisions. Uh, But that always brings up the question, why would God allow bad things to happen? It's a question we've all had, and it's a great question. And the answer is, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, when's the last time you asked this question? Probably not that long ago. God, why would you allow this to happen? Uh, I was recently with a family who was losing a loved one and um, the husband, I was talking to the husband and he said, you know, I believe in God. And, and he had been watching her suffer and just decline for weeks. And he said, I believe in God. I just don't understand why he would allow this to happen, why he would allow her to suffer, which is a great question. And the only answer is I don't know other than to say <laughs> God is not a control freak. And I believe he's given us the ability to choose and given himself the inability to control everything, which means there is sin, there is death, there is evil in this world, which isn't a satisfying answer. And it it shouldn't be a satisfying answer. Um, But here's what I believe. When something bad, evil happens, uh, I believe God did not want it to happen. God did not make it happen. God did not cause it to happen. I believe when we cry, God cries, uh, Now, I believe God can bring something good out of any garbage dump of a situation. There's some faith that could be restored. There's some relationship that can be reconciled. Um, But that's different from everything happens for a reason. That's just not true. Uh, God is not a control freak. That's number three. Number four, uh, God is not a portion of the population. Oh, yeah, here we go. Years ago... I was uh, helping lead a youth group group mission trip to Guatemala, middle school students and their parents. And 
it was so we we served these Guatemalan families. We built homes. We helped in schools. We helped with feeding programs. The last night we were in um, at the hotel in Guatemala City, getting ready to get on the plane the next morning. And so every night we would debrief. And the last question on this last night was, "What is the one thing you're going to take away with you, or the biggest thing? What's what is it you're going to remember?" And so we all went around the circle. Um, and the one of the last people was a seventh grade student named Jade. Jade was, I don't know, four, nine, like 80 pounds. Um, but she was like, speaks little, says a lot. So when Jade opened her mouth, you listened. Jade simply said these words. I learned that God is not American. <laughs> oh, wow. She could have dropped the mic and just walked out. And we would all been like, amen, sister. I believe I learned that God is not American. That's what I learned from interacting with his children who aren't American. Yeah, God is not associated with a portion of the population who claim to represent him. Right? God is not American or Canadian or Japanese or Brazilian, although Jesus was Middle Eastern. God is not Republican or Democrat. God is not money-wise rich or poor. God uh is not the mascot of your favorite sports team and he doesn't hate the other mascot that you hate. Yeah. God is not a portion of the population, which means everyone you come across, every single person you come across, people you don't agree with, people you don't look like, people who think differently, people who you just rub you the wrong way. Every one of them is created by God in the image of God and someone who God is a precious child of God, who God desperately wants to have a relationship with. God is not a portion of the population. And then number five, uh, God is not fair. Raise your hand if you've ever done anything wrong that you shouldn't have done. Can't see you, but my hand's up. I'm trusting yours. If your hand is not up, you're lying, which now you've done something wrong because that's bad. And so now we're all on the even playing field. Uh, I have done plenty wrong in my more things than I can count more than I care to admit. And I'm not going to say any of them because my mom and dad listen to this podcast, but trust me on this. I have done many things wrong. Now here's the definition of fair. The definition of fair is to get what you deserve, right? That's the definition, whether it's good or bad, you do something good, something good happened. You get something bad. Something bad. That's the definition of fair. Um, but God is not fair. So what it would have been fair was for God to treat me, like I had actually done all these things I shouldn't have done. But instead, <laughs> what God has done is throw all of that away through the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus. He's given me a second, a third, a fourth, a 10,000th chance, and I've needed every single one of them. You know what this is called? This is called grace. For it is by grace you've been saved. And this is a gift from God, we're told. This is, grace is a gift from God. It is by grace. You have been saved. By the way, have you ever gotten mad at God because somebody else didn't get what they deserved and you wanted them to? Like they did this to me, they did this to them, and I just want them to like like where's the lightning, God? I I I want here's the deal. If grace is true for you, then it also has to be true for them. <laughs> That's grace. God is not fair. I love how Peter starts his first two letters in the New Testament. First Peter chapter one, verse two, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Not just grace and peace, but grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then second Peter, the second verse of the letter, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. 
What's he saying? Saying since God isn't fair and thank goodness he's not you and I, we get to receive this grace, this peace, this forgiveness, this fresh start in abundance. Every day we get this grace through God and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes in order to know what something is, we also have to know what it isn't or who he isn't. And God is not out there. God is not waiting for you to make a mistake. God is not a control freak. God is not a portion of the population and God is not fair. If we believe God is something that he's not, it will always leave us disappointed and unfulfilled. And sometimes we just have to let go of certain ideas and misrepresentations. And that's even some things we've held on for a long time. And that's okay to do. And now that we know some of who God isn't, next experience, we're going to talk about who God is. Grace and peace, my friends. Much love.